Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 150 of the Social Liability Podcast, the podcast where we discuss those folks in our lives that violate the social contracts that we all agree to live by. I am your host, Aras, with my co-host, The Buck, bringing you new and interesting stories from the far reaches of the internet. And this is going to be a very ghetto-esque episode in that I am about half functional right now due to new medications. And and Buck, you are... Uh, you're in a hotel. <laughs> I am. I am in a hotel. Yes, Cat, uh, caregiver caregiver Katie and I made the arduous trek from the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia to the state of Georgia. GPS tracked it at a seven and a half hour ride in the car, which is just fucking mind numbing to begin with. But then at around ten thirty at night in Knoxville, Tennessee, the back tire of my handy van completely shredded. Oh my god. I mean completely. No fucking chance of this thing even going a mile or a fucking foot longer. We were done. So I, being the very patient man that I am, delegated Catherine or caregiver Katie to go out and check the spare. <laughs> she comes she comes back and reports to me. Now caregiver Katie is quite savvy with tools. I'm not going to sit here and say that she was a damsel in distress because that was that was all me, folks. I was the damsel in distress. But when caregiver Katie got to the back of the car, she realized, you know, the dealership that sold me that van that I asked for four new tires and a brand new spare to go with it as a part of the conditions of me buying that vehicle. I had a donut spare, a jack and no tire iron. Oh, my goodness. Much to my chagrin. Uh, the uh, insurance company for roadside assistance, uh, Geico, extremely quick with their response times. I've got no complaints about them. But the company that they contracted to come out and get my crippled ass called me 45 minutes later and said, we don't service your area. <laughs> and we're here at a wedding. Like, we had to be here. So I immediately got on my phone being, you know, completely passed over by windswept traffic. It was really, really terrifying. I don't like traveling. I don't like being stuck. But I got on my phone and I looked up 24-hour tire places. You know, because what the hell thing? else can you do? There's a such thing? <laughs> Apparently there are a plethora of 24-hour tire places if you drive a tractor trailer. Yes. Okay. So I get on the phone with about three of those fellas, and they all laugh at me when I tell them I'm driving a 2006 Dodge Caravan, and uh, they they only do tires on Big trucks that are about ten times my size. And uh, the last guy I got in touch with was like, "All right, so we don't do little tires; we only do big truck tires." I was like, "Fuck." I was like, well, you're the last guy in the phone book that has 24-hour tire repair on his thing. I guess we're just going to have to call the police, get the donut put on, and try to figure it out tomorrow. And uh, the guy was like, you know what? Wait a second. I got a buddy who owns a tire shop. No shit. Yeah. And I was like, no, you don't. He's like, yeah, let me give him a call real quick. Just, just don't do anything yet. Let me call you back. Click. I didn't even get to say yes. Guy calls me back. He's like, all right, here's what you're going to do. 
put your car in the as far right as you can and just you've got six miles to go till you hit the exit get to the exit like get to this tire shop and we'll he he will get you a tire for your car and i was like all right what you do like, on right. the fucking rim uh for about 15 feet and i called him back and i was like all right dude i didn't want to do this but i can't drive this car like this it's too much and he was he was a little like uh well you know it is kind of like your only option yeah and i was like can't can't we can't we do we, we have to do something else we have to we must and you know he's like all right i'm gonna send a tow truck out to you but you're gonna have to pay for it i was like i don't give a shit i don't give a shit and then caregiver katie was like you can't do a tow truck i was like fuck I can't do a tow truck. I told the guy, I was like, all right, man, I didn't want to lead off with this, but I'm going to have to throw the cripple card down. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, what's the cripple card? I was like, all right, dude, like for really real legit, I'm in a Stephen Hawking chair and my bladder is in a bag. We cannot ride on this rim because my body can't handle it. And you can't put me in a tow truck because I can't get, get me out chair. of this. Yeah. It, like you can't it like and, and unless your tow truck driver is like really cool and doesn't give a shit about traffic laws and wants to put my crippled ass on the back i'm down to clown but <laughs> like you know if if you're like a stickler for the rules this is probably not the best way to go so the guy's like all right, all right let me call you back click 15 minutes later he's like all right sending one of my guys out to you he's gonna put your donut on he's gonna personally escort you to the tire place to make sure you get a new tire and then you will pay him for his time you will pay a service charge and for the new tire on the guy who owns the shop and we can and you guys can get back on the road is that fair i was like fair my fucking ass that's just like i had a i had a like i'm ready to just whore out my wife like come on <laughs> like Car caregiver katie was like oh yeah like we're down dude like we are down so we finally got to Georgia at around 4 a.m. Jesus. And then, you know, we had a lovely, a lovely wedding that we went to. It was, it was awesome. You know, I danced. Which is really like, I didn't expect that to happen. You know, kind of like being in a wheelchair, you happily exclude yourself from that. But, you know. Caregiver Katie was like, oh, I want to dance to one song with you. You don't even have to try and stand up. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. If I don't have to try and if I don't have to get somebody to hold me up and make it look like a freaking war crime, I'm in. So we get up there and it's they're playing Somebody to Love by Queen. <laughs> and everybody just joined in a circle and started dancing. And I was like, okay, I can do this. Everybody's holding hands. I was like, I can do this too, but I said, but now I'm not gonna be moving. <laughs> If you're gonna be holding both my hands, I gotta drive the chair with something. But everybody was pretty cool about it. So you know, now I sit here on location in the hotel, and uh, yeah, you know, after a very, very eventful trip, and uh, we're gonna be down here in Georgia for another till Thursday next week. I can't wait to see what I can update you with. Probably some funny stories about caregiver Katie's dad manhandling me around because I can't move well. And he's about as strong as a Sherman tank. I always love those experiences. But, well, we'll see what happens. Either way, man, 
I hope we got some good stuff on the uh, on the docket this week for our gallery of rogues, man. I could really use some some pick me ups here. Well, I the, the the these new meds have got me a little flummoxed, so I, I want to. You're gonna have to bear with me as I, I try to get through these. Uh, our first story comes from Kentucky.com, which is the Lexington Herald Ledger. Woman's kids destroy her boyfriend's house by pouring cement down the toilet. A woman's children destroyed her boyfriend's house by pouring cement down the toilet, nailing a door to the roof, and ripping electrical wires out of the wall, causing up to $200,000 in damage, according to arrest affidavits. <laughs> Police responded to the Nashville home on June 26th after a man had returned to the property and found it in complete disarray. The man who was renting the home had left about two months prior after having a dispute with his girlfriend and her two sons. The girlfriend was later arrested and went to jail, leaving her two sons, one of whom is 19, in the home alone. On June 23rd, the sons called their mother in jail, which I, I don't, I can't figure that one out. How did they call her? I think that that's a mishap. She called them. There's no way that, that, that he called her. There's just, unless, unless there was like a death in the family or like, no. I can't even think of a situation where a shift commander would authorize that. No, I have no. I have seen it where people have called in and then they've gone to the inmates and said, "Hey, you need to call this person." You know, that's that's possible, I suppose. But you know, it, okay, that's possible. Anyway, so we digress. On June twenty third, the sons called their mother in jail and told her that an eviction notice had been delivered to their house. She told them, "quote She would have quote." would have destroyed the house, end quote, before she went away and her 19-year-old son replied that you're giving us ideas right now. <laughs> Three days later, her children called her again, bragging about what they had done to the house. They dumped, they talked about dumping pots in the driveway, destroying the bed frame and appliances, removing walls, ripping out light fixtures, and pouring cement down the toilet and flushing it until the handle breaks. When the woman returned to the home, I'm sorry, when the man returned to the home, he also uh, found that the cabinets had been ripped out, a door had been nailed to the roof, and the words F.U. had been sprayed <laughs> on it. Detectives spoke with the 19-year-old's brother, whose age is not specified in the affidavit, on September 30th, and he denied any involvement in the destruction of the home. He and his brother had gone to collect their belongings after the eviction notice was served, was all they did, according to the brother. Neighbors, however, reported seeing the brothers going in and out of the home, hearing noises sounded like construction around the time the damage was caused, according to their affidavits. A contractor who looked over the damage said that the estimated cost of repair to the home would be between $180,000 and $200,000. The owner said that he ended up, ended up selling the property for just $17,000. The 19-year-old was charged with vandalism between sixty dollars and $250,000, according to an affidavit which is dated October 3rd, when he was booked in the jail on October 31st. Charges for the brother are not listed, and he did not appear in a court search. Holy fuck. I never would have thought of the, the concrete one. <laughs> Flushing concrete down the toilet. Oh my god. That kid has got so many problems. Because he's not... He's got criminal and civil suits that are just going to be following him till he's in it. He's he's 19 now. He'll be our age before he can even start fucking figuring this shit out. Yeah, at least. Like, at like because, you know, we talked about this once before. You know, if dude's smart, 
because he's renting the house, which means that, you know, the the guy who owns the property better have himself what's called a homeowner's policy. Okay. Well, see, the homeowner's policy probably wouldn't pay out because it's a uh, criminal act. Well, that's that's the thing is that it absolutely, it actually, it, it really would, because it's not anybody who's on the lease or anybody who's involved with the renting or or uh-huh. anything of that apartment. That was that that's all out vandalism, and vandalism is covered. You know, especially well, if that's what they're going to be charging with. Depending on what they have on their policy, that's. Well, you know, I'm just I'm just going by like general homeowners policies. You know, vandalism vandalism is covered. So, you know, homeowner's going to make a claim. You know, no he's not. Actually, it said that he sold the property for $17,000. That means that the homeowner yeah, you know what? His insurance company probably didn't cover a claim. Now that I think of it, but either way, this kid, 19 years old, he's fucked. He's fucked. He'll have the civil judgment on him for a while. But like, I have a, a situation with work right now where we have um, a, a vehicle that had gotten, uh, well, got bullet holes in it. <laughs> and uh, the insurance company that I'm dealing with right now, they're, it's our insurance company. But we're trying to make the determination whether it's going to be worth litigating uh, a civil claim against the <clears throat> individual or not. Because he had just gotten out of state prison. He's probably going back. Uh, so it, the likelihood of him having any kind of um, any tangible funds other than, you know, maybe a stack of honey buns is probably pretty low. Uh, at the same time, I would like to see the the, the judgment following the rest of his life. But at, at the same time, it's one of those things like, is it really it, it's only it's less than twenty five hundred dollars worth of damage. So is it worth paying the attorneys? You know, so it, we're just trying to make that determination right now. But. Uh, it's kind of this like, kid's fucked. This kid's fucked. Yeah, because I mean, you you cost me two hundred grand. I don't care if it costs me five grand to sue you, so that that two hundred grand follows you around the rest of your life. I'm going to do it. Yeah, and uh, let's not fail to mention the fact that I can't remember what I was about ready to say. Never mind. The criminal. Charges. So we actually, we are actually going to fail to mention the fact that whatever, because I as soon as I started saying it, I forgot what I was going to talk about. But whatever. You know, this kid's screwed. He really is. Absolute, like, six ways to Sunday screwed. Our next story comes from the newsobserver.com. Customer calls police after pink pork at a historic Raleigh barbecue joint. A customer at Clyde Cooper's in Raleigh. Wait a minute, where is Raleigh? Is that in the Carolinas? Yeah, that's North Carolina, man. Ah. Well, you're going through yeah. there. You're going through there. Stop on the way back. Mm, not Raleigh. That's on 95, man. I go up 81. Well, I'm... <laughs> okay. <laughs> a customer at Clyde Cloopers in Raleigh learned this week there's no medium rare in barbecue. Yesterday, we had a customer come in and order takeout, a barbecue plate and a couple of sides, said the owner. Uh, she, she left and came back and said her barbecue was undercooked and had a lot of pink in it. We explained that's because it's smoked. When pork is smoked, it turns pink. Holt said a few minutes later, a Raleigh police officer came to the restaurant, talked to the customer outside, and then entered Clyde Cooper's asking about the pork. The cop looked so confused. He seemed baffled by someone calling the cops over this. Then why'd you respond? Just go 10-8 and roll, dude. Uh, The meat cookery that goes into barbecue flips the script on what we typically think of doneness, going for a tender texture and not temperature in determining what time to eat. 
It's low and slow, not seared and roasted. This means that the final pork and beef temperature usually soars above the typical upper limits of well done, finishing north of 200 degrees. But smoke changes things. A brisket and a slab of ribs will often have a rosy pink ring just under the bark where the chemical reaction that changed the color of the meat, which takes uh, takes cooking temperatures more seriously than anyone. The pink is common in smoked meats and poultry. This is very true. (laughs) Right. Clyde Cooper's opened in 1938 and is one of North Carolina's oldest barbecue restaurants. The restaurant posted about the encounter on its Facebook page, drawing more than 100 shares and comments. The Raleigh Wake Emergency Communications Center that an officer was dispatched to Clyde Cooper's, which is located at 327 South Wilmington Street in Raleigh, on Tuesday, but declined to comment on the nature of the call. Holt said that she explained that the pork's color was from the smoke, and the officer went back outside, talked to the customer, and left. Tuesday night, Holt said there was a new one-star Google review for Clyde Cooper's, complaining of undercooked pork and claiming to have called the police on the restaurant. Oh, my God. A photo of the plate shows mostly tan and some pink chopped barbecue, mac and cheese, and sweet potatoes in a styrofoam box. Holt said that Clyde Cooper's barbecue is typically cooked for 12 hours at 225 degrees or more and then reheated before serving. It can't get much hotter, Holt said. It's done and cooked, and then we take it and chop it and cool it down and heat it again. Some people don't want to listen to the reason and don't know the process it takes to make smoked pork. We have to laugh and move on. Holy crap. (laughs) I'm getting that. Wow. Nah, I'm getting that 911 call. I'm getting that. I am. You gonna put in a FOIA request I am, for it? I am putting in a FOIA request today. I want that one. We are covering that one on the on the YouTube channel, <laughs> dude. People in Carolina take their fucking barbecue seriously, man. Like, don't mess around with people's meat. But at the same time, like that lady wanted to shovel coal in the fire all the way up until the fucking fuzz rolled up, like. I understand that you think you might know what you're talking about, but this place has been in business for, you know, almost a hundred fucking years. Very true. You know, since 1938. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, like, we're like we're we're like we're cresting a century. You you think that these people would know how to how to handle their meat by now? Like you know, I if I like if I would have went up there, which I'm colorblind as fuck, I wouldn't even know. But say say I walked up there and was like, oh, my meat's pink. And they were like, oh, well, you know, this is the uh, reason. We're, this is the reason. We've been here since 1938 and nobody's ever fucking complained about it until now. You. I'd be like, oh, well, guess what? You can rescind my complaint and just put it down as an inquiry. Now I'm satisfied. I have an answer for this. I'm not, I'm not eating something with listeria or salmonella in it. It's like, okay. I'm not going to catch fucking right. typhus, am I? Right. And like... <laughs> Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It looks like this label here has a skull and crossbones on it. The guy comes up, he's like, wipes his thumb over it. He's like, no, 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 that was just a circle with a smiley face. Oh, okay. Good to go. Good to that's, go. That's, that's, that's where, like, that's as far as that would go with me. Hey, I've got a problem with this. No, no, no. It only looks like you have a problem, but there isn't really a problem. Here's why. I can get down with that. Okay. All right. I'm accept- I, I will accept that answer. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Now I'm gonna go eat this delicious, delicious barbecue. Right. I, I don't. I don't double down. 
I don't double down and go, nope, this is the hill I'm going to die on. I'm calling the cops. And hmm. to do what exactly? That's my question. What the fuck well, did you literally expect the police officer to do? Right. I mean, like, I was actually about to ask you that. Like, so police officer responds to this call, Raz, and what exactly I, I, is... So most police do something that I absolutely despise uh, when they don't want to deal with something. They'll just throw up their hands, say it's a civil matter, and walk away. And that's a lot of times with with vehicle like vendor benders and stuff like that. They you, it's trying to get a police officer to write a report on something like that. Depending on the jurisdiction, is a pain in the ass. Just go, oh, it's a civil matter, and walk out. But this, but this is like the the textbook definition of a civil matter. It has nothing to do with law enforcement. He should not have even gotten involved. He just should have looked at the woman and said, "Eh, you don't like it, sue him," and walked away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it's just that's all there is to it. There's, there's no, there's nothing there that he. I mean, he can act as an intermediary, and that's probably what he was just basically trying to do. Um, but I am definitely putting a FOIA request in for that radio traffic. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I want to okay. hear it. And you know, the the last time we did like a like a a, a YouTube only uh, type video for for. Uh, Regarding the social liability podcast, we did one on a, on a judge out of West Virginia, uh, Judge Carter Williams. You can look that up online. Um, that one got some serious traction, so I'd kind of like to start doing those on a more regular basis. Um, but the reason that one did so well is because we were able to get our hands on the uh, body cam footage. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put some FOIA requests in. I'm going to get that audio. I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I actually do remember that Judge Carter Williams was actually our biggest hit on any traffic that we've ever had he actually judge carter williams beat out rainbow dildo butt monkey rainbow dildo butt monkey (laughs) yeah that one had almost 300 and judge carter williams just crested him all right well buck we're going to move on to our another story here from ems1.com uh it's kind of funny because you sent me this but i'm the emt so what were you doing on ems1 (laughs) Um, well, I was looking for stories for the subcockles of Reddit. Okay. Well, and this just happened to show up. I actually, you know what? If I this this actually, I know this story. Before you start reading it, it comes to us from a different subreddit that I have not gotten news stories from before. Uh, this is from r slash offbeat that I that I picked this one up from. Okay. So. Well, an Alabama jury awards $6 million in a wrongful death suit against an EMS agency. A Calhoun County jury returned a multi-million dollar verdict against Aniston Emergency Medical Services, Inc., awarding the sum to a well-burned man whose wife died after waiting for medical care in 2016. The plaintiff, Walter Ellswick, filed the suit after his wife, Charlotte Ellswick, died on May 28, 2016. According to Elwick's attorney, Bruce Downey IV, (laughs) the ambulance crew had staged two blocks from the couple's home where she was apparently suffering a heart attack and refused to respond to the scene. The jury took less than 30 minutes on Friday to return a verdict in favor of the plaintiff, awarding the widower $6,295,000 to be paid by Aniston EMS. Calhoun County 911 Director Kevin Jenkins told the Aniston Star that the company policy to assess the safety of the scene before the arrival of emergency personnel to the residence. This was, 
there were some indications on the 911 call where there were some concerns for the scene safety. And at any time there is a concern upon uh, what they're hearing on the call for scene safety, we automatically notify law enforcement of the call as well. The concern for safety is uh, for all parties involved, Jenkins said. The medical personnel, the caller, and any parties that might be on the scene. We at 911, we process the 911 call. We take the facts and we gather the information, and then we get the caller in touch with the appropriate help. The man called Calhoun 911 as he believed his wife was suffering a heart attack. After several minutes passed and no ambulance was on scene, Elwick called 911 a second time to get the ambulance to hurry its response. Aniston EMS dispatcher told Mr. Ellswick the ambulance was on its way and would be there as soon as possible. Then, after disconnecting with Mr. Ellswick's second call, Aniston's EMS dispatcher asked 911 to send police to the home, and she told the ambulance crew that she had notified PD because the caller was agitated by the slow response. Because of this, Aniston EMS operator labeled the residence as some type of threat. The ambulance crew staged the vehicle two blocks away from the home. Elwick called a total of four times, each time becoming more frantic as his wife began to stop breathing. I called in, uh, I called it callous indifference to Charlotte's survival, Down, Downey told the Aniston Star. After, even after learning the woman had stopped breathing, the ambulance crew parked and refused to respond. Court documents state that Aniston EMS denied the claim, stating that any delay in response to the call by uh, Walter Ellswick was a result of Calhoun County 911 having dispatched the Aniston Police Department for concerns of scene safety. A trial brief filed by the Aniston EMS includes a statement, There is insufficient evidence of the probable cause of Mr. Ms. Ellswick's death and or uh, causal connection casual connection between any alleged breach in duty of care to Ms. Ellswick and her death. Although several breaches in the standard of care are alleged, many of the alleged breaches have no uh, casual relationship to the death. I disagree, and I'll tell you why. Uh, uh, Downey explained that the Aniston EMS dispatcher labeled Ellswick as belligerent and created an appearance there was some kind of disturbance in the home. Downey said the company's dispatcher grossly exaggerated his conduct to make it sound like he was acting crazy. Typical call time for ambulance response is supposed to be about eight minutes. That's true. Uh, Downey said, however, there is, that sometimes isn't possible. We've learned through this case that it's not typical here for this agency, but they're supposed to be on scene within eight minutes, 90% of the time. But they have a mandatory duty to get in route within two minutes of receiving the call. Again, that's true. According to the press release from Downey, the ambulance crew did not arrive at the Ellswick's home until 40 minutes after Aniston EMS received the call. Oh... Upon their arrival, the paramedic touched Miss Ellswick's leg and walked back out. Paramedic spent less than 30 seconds by her side, according to the release. I hope it makes a difference that no one else has to go through this, Elwick told the Innocent Star via text correspondence. They were, in my opinion, not okay with what happened here. <laughs> uh... Downey's in reference to the jury members. Owners of the Aniston Medical Service, uh, this is Johnny Warren, told the Star that a non-disclosure agreement in connection with the case prevents all parties involved from talking about uh, details of the resolution. Okay. So, uh, it just so happens, Buck, that I have some experience with this. Yeah, that's why I picked this article, man. I figured you'd have some wrapping to do. So... What, this is a private agency. Now, I'm assuming, now, like I said, I'm assuming, I'm not, I'm not going to say this is, this is factual, but this is everywhere I've ever been. Um, your 911 service, typically, if it is 
goes to what's called status zero, meaning they don't have any um, city, county, or, or, or borough, whatever your units are. The government units are volunteer units. Once they become where they do not have any units available, they will uh, reach out to private ambulance companies. These companies typically do... Um, uh, like transports, uh, like inter interdepartmental inter facility transports, or but sometimes they do. You know, they're they're equipped to run nine one one. They have to be by law. Uh, and I've I've worked for both agencies that respond to nine one one, and I've also worked for private companies that we ended up taking nine one one calls just because we happen to be closer. And I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is uh, relying on private entities because they they can have their own policies when you have established EMS protocols in every state. So let me tell you, I, I have personally been dispatched on a call many times. And when, you, when you're on en route, <laughs> dispatch will tell you, you know, law enforcement has been dispatched because of this. Proceed at your own discretion. And what that means, I can either stage or I can go in. And that, it's my choice to make. Uh, you have a duty to care, but it's... What people don't really understand is when we and we try to beat this in the first responders. Your your first duty is to yourself. Your second duty is to your partner, and your third duty is to the patient. Because you, if you can't, if you end up becoming a, a, an additional casualty, then you're just straining the resources. So, have I staged before? Yes. As soon as you hear there's a firearm involved or something of that nature, that is when I'll stage. If it is the person's a belligerent on the phone, I, I can deal with that. We'll go in, and if it, if, it, if it's bad, we can always roll out. Okay, so it's it's not a it's a decision you have to make, and if you're not willing to um make those hard decisions, then you know maybe you should reevaluate your career a little bit. But what I what I'm imagining happening here by by re, from what I'm reading, since it is a private company, they probably had a policy that is once PD is dispatched, they stage and they probably just, that's probably what their policy is. You, you have to stage, which is ridiculous. Uh, but I can see it from a private company's perspective, why they would think that's a good idea is you don't want to pay a worker's comp claim. And that's what it comes down to. They don't want to pay a worker's comp claim. Uh, in this case, I think the, I, I, I would, I would think that the 911 dispatcher should sh sh share some of that burden in this, and not in the in the dispatch agency, county, state, or otherwise, because there's, of course, the motherfucker's agitated. His wife is dying, actively dying. Do you expect him to be calm, cool, and collected? Oh, well, hi there. Uh, my name's you know my name's Raz. I'm calling because my my wife seems to be having a heart attack on the floor, and I would be ever so grateful if you could uh, get out here. I mean, I realize that it's around lunchtime, so they may be off, but if they could get here as soon as they get back, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, you have yourself a fine day, ma'am. The next question I have is, why the hell did they keep disconnecting the call with the guy? Why yeah, isn't that, that, that was, that, that stood out to me a little bit too. Like, is that, like, that's, I didn't that's think not that normal. close to normal. That's not normal. You keep them on the line so you can have a, a an ear as to what's going on in that home. So you can keep the EMTs or even uh, the police that are supposedly responding apprised to the situation. And you you can, and, and that's the other thing too is I've, I've dispatchers are supposed to be, they're supposed to be able to you know, walk people through basic stuff on over the phone like CPR, 
Um, I, I, I it's just there's a lot of failure here, a lot of failure. Yeah, and what it did was it cost some guy his fucking wife, man. That's yeah. freaking horrible. Yeah, like talk about gross negligence, man. That's just that's just despicable. It it truly is, um, and I, I, I you know I, I think that you, you awarding a, a jury award of that nature is sufficient. But I don't think it should have been just with the EMS agency. I think it should have been the 911 dispatchers as well. But that's just my opinion. I agree. All right, Buck, we're back. And we're going to talk about our next story from CBSNews.com. woman who said she was burning a witch pleads guilty to murder and arson. Holy crap. This happened in Ball Club, Minnesota. A woman claimed she was burning a witch when she set set fire to a camper in... um, I have no idea. I T A S C A County. I T S. I T A S C A. Ithaca. Okay. I was I was thinking it was probably some kind of Native American name, but no, no, that's ancient Greek, man. Ithaca. Ithaca. Hmm. Yeah, Ithaca County. Is that up in New York? Minnesota. Oh, oh, Minnesota. Don't you know? Don't you know? Well, over the summer, she pled guilty to murder and arson. Crystal Wilson, 42, pled guilty in the county district court on Monday to second-degree intentional murder and first-degree arson, and she faces up to 37 years in prison. According to the charging documents, Wilson went to the camper van in Ball Club to obtain a methamphetamine and alcohol on July 18th. After using meth in the camper with the victim, Wilson said she stabbed him multiple times with a butcher knife. She went unconscious and woke up to find the victim who was cold to the touch. She grabbed a lighter and lit the camper on fire and said she thought she was burning a witch. Charges say that officers searched the camper only to find no butcher knife present, but did retrieve a pair of needle nose pliers. Oh my god, death by needle nose. That's that's the whole story. She just... (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. So, she actually succeeded in killing this dude and then lighting his trailer on fire and is now only facing 37 years? Yeah. Lady, that's... I think you got a bargain. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I, I doesn't seem like it, but that's a gift horse and you shouldn't look at it in the mouth. Like, mm, normally you get like a do not pass go for attempted murder or for a murder and then and then arson. Like, Well, I, I guarantee uh, you they, they took... They looked at it and said, well, she was... Why that makes anything like less culpable? Yeah. Why that makes things less culpable? But they seem to they seems to do it. But they probably look at the fact that she killed a drug dealer. She's like, eh. They're like, eh. Public service. You know, that's actually funny that you mentioned that. I remember when we were working in the jail, I was a hostage negotiator. I, I got state certified, and uh, before any emergency response staff members were called to any cell extraction or any use of force, the deputy warden at the time said, you have to call somebody from the hostage negotiations team. And so we were sitting there and an inmate that was in the hole took a cellmate and was like, I'm going to get him. I'm going to kill him. I want this and I want that and I want this and I want that. Dude was just having a bad day. And I ran up to that cell. They called me up. They were like, Lynch, you know, we need you to go and go and see if, uh, if, you know, you can take care of this, you know, talk some sense into this guy. And I went up there and I was like, all right, man, best efforts. 
went up to the cell door, opened the food port, and I went, okay, dude, what are we, what are we looking at? And he starts making his idle threats again, listing his demands. And, you know, I wish that I could give you more to this story because, you know, it sounds like it's a lot more eventful than it really was. What it really boiled down to was the guy was just having a terrible day. Went completely freaking batshit in his cell, which is not uncommon when you're stuck in the hole. And decided that he was going to leverage the life of his cellmate to try and get extra privileges. And when I, when I informed him, you know, I actually went up there and I knew his cellmate. You know, he was a repeat offender and he was just kind of like, uh, hey man, you know, yeah, you want to help me out here? The guy looks a little serious. And I was like, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. We're going to get you out of here soon. This guy's not going to do anything to you. And the guy was like, oh, you don't think I will? I was like, I, I know you won't. Not after I tell you what I'm about to tell you. Yeah, I was like, Nothing would make me happier if you killed that man. Nothing. You go ahead and you do that. And then what you're going to do is, is you are now taking a hostage. Like, you don't even want to know what that guy's charges are. How many things he did to terrible, how many terrible things he did to women and children. Go ahead, take him hostage. Go, if, if that's, that's the guy that you think is going to be your prize horse to getting whatever you want. Nope. I'll open that cell door up and you can throw him off the balcony right here in front of me. I was like, now, do you want to revamp this, uh, this little charade that you're putting on? I was like, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to close your food port and I'm going to get you your very own cell. And that's as close as you're going to get to getting what you want. And he was like, all right, man, all right. I'm going to get my own cell. That's, that's good enough. I was like, all right. Take the guy out of his cell, put him, put put him, him in the bubble. Green... Green security smug and threw him in the fishbowl. Because that's what happens when you threaten people with their life in a fucking prison. We take away everything you have, put you in a very unflattering green suicide smock with a blanket to match, throw you in a cell with nothing but a mattress and some windows. Well, all windows, because the one side of the cell was completely glass. <laughs> yeah, that's why we call it the fishbowl. It yep. was, it, it was, it, there was one window that looked out into the rec yard, a solid wall, and then a wall of windows and a door. Like you could see, you, you could not do anything in that cell. See, so you know what? I, I don't, I don't know how this woman escaped like some of the more serious shit, man. Like I just, I just don't get it. I, I can like, tell you, I, it's because, it's because she killed a drug dealer. That's, that's all there is to it. You know what? Wiping two shit stains off the fucking map is, Better than one, I guess. I suppose so. Our next story comes from the JamaicanObserver.com. St. Catherine man charged with stealing $100,000 in chicken parts. I have not read this. Foul play. Foul play. No, 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 no. Come on, man. That was exciting. That was a good one, dude. I could have said, if you want to use the button. I did. Like, use the, well, use, use the button for real. I'm excited. Excited for this one. There. That's a button-worthy one. Foul play, that was a winner. Well, don't get too excited, because this thing is incredibly short. A St. Catherine, Catherine, Jamaica, 69-year-old Ruin Forbes, a security guard at Newlands Road, St. Catherine, has been arrested and charged with shop-breaking and larceny following an incident in the Newlands Main Road in the parish 
on Sunday, September 25th. This has got to be a translation because this doesn't make any sense. Uh, reports from the Port Mayor Police are that about at 8 a.m., the complainant was alerted by his security system that his establishment had been broken into by Forbes. Several bags of chicken parts and salt fish were stolen from the refrigerator with an estimated value of $100,000. On Friday, September 30th, Forbes was taken into custody and subsequently charged. His court date is being finalized. What are you going to do with $100,000 worth of chicken parts? This is Jamaica. This is Jamaica. So I I guarantee you uh, that's a lot of goddamn chicken. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, like, get some of that Caribbean jerk seasoning. I mean, $100,000 worth of chicken parts in Jamaica is probably enough to fill up, like, you know, four, you know, four, maybe five tractor trailers worth. I wouldn't say that much, but, you know, at least a good. At least a good load of chicken. I mean, like you could have a party with it for sure. You know, I got, I got, I say, who the hell would do this? But I got called over to do a security assessment of a, uh, um, like a feed the feed the uh, like a homebound. I don't want to say the name of the program, but it's like a, a Meals on Wheels type program. Uh, and somebody literally broke into the loading dock and cut the locks off of the uh, the walk in freezers. To steal milk and eggs. Hmm. Yeah. So I mean, this just happened this week. I mean, <laughs> so so Meals on Wheels. That's like free food distribution. Yeah. So they went up. They went up, and they robbed the place that gives out free food. Yes. That is, <laughs> dude. If you're gonna commit a crime, rob a fucking Walmart. You know. Like, why are you going to steal something that's free to begin with? <laughs> like, that's just... That, it's, it's just oh, the math don't add up in my head, man. Right. You're going to steal... But anyhow, so we got this guy running around with 100 grand worth of chicken parts. And that's where they leave us. That's where they leave us. Yeah, that's, it's, it's totally like... I, I didn't realize how short this story was or I would have cut it. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't, man, because you know what? I mean, it's nice to raise awareness for, you know, chicken parts. Yeah, and and you know, like chicken related crimes. Yeah, but now, those, I, want, the, now I want jerk chicken. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I don't know what to tell you on that one, man. But at least the article is long enough to whet our appetite. Yeah, it 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 is. Okay, well, our last story comes from the Ladbible dot com. Uh, family who built two story house on driveway respond, "Fuck you, we're gonna keep it." <laughs> yes, yes. Have you ever looked up like just typed in Google revenge houses? No, you but really... I bet you there's a subreddit for that, and I'm gonna check it out. Revenge houses are great. And this is kind of along the same lines. A stubborn family who basically built a second house on their driveway is determined to keep it. <laughs> Look, we're all a little bit of a home DIY, but getting approval of a garage, then making a mini two-story home might be taking the piss. Obviously, this is New England. <laughs> Still, the homeowners in Highgate, Bringingham, 
uh, are pretty set on keeping their property, and to be fair, it does look pretty nice. The whole thing started back in 2019 when the family was approved to build a garage on their driveway. The family appealed, saying uh, that there was only minor differences between the structure that was approved and the one that they built. However, planning inspector Thomas Shields was having none of it, saying that the approved plans for the garage show a single-story detached garage with a footprint of 5.3 meters by 4.6 meters and a height of 3.6 meters. Okay. Uh, it was also shown to be having a standard garage door on the front and no windows or any eleva- on any elevation. The comparison with the approved garage, the appeal, <laughs> the appeal building has a footprint of approximately 8.7 meters by 4.7 meters and a height of 5.3 meters. Consequently, it is substantially larger than the approved building. It is not a minor difference. To their defense, it does look really nice, but <laughs> something looking nice doesn't mean that the council will like it. And they gave the family until July to this year to either tear the whole thing down. Oh, yeah. And it, it looks like a nice little house. I mean, it looks a lot nicer than the houses around here, I'll tell you that. But the eagle-eyed amongst you may notice that this, wasn't, uh, <laughs> that this wouldn't be writing the story if it had been torn the thing down. No, no. If the walls of the sneaky mini house could talk, they'd sing Elton John's smash hit, I'm Still Standing. And the family doesn't (laughs) seem to care, with one woman in the house telling the son, until the council gets in direct contact with us to tell us to demolish it, we're going to say to everyone, fuck you, because we're keeping it. And that's that. (laughs) No one around has a problem with it. All the neighbors think it looks nice. It was a garage. We turned it into a uh, gym during COVID. The the funny thing is the council came to inspect it and saw all the gym equipment in there. There are punching bags in there and there are other gym machines. Hey, at least it's being put to good use. We wonder if they're offering gym memberships. <laughs> I'd pay. I'd sign up for that. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's literally like, a, like a, a piece of uh, land in New York City that's no bigger than like a dinner plate that is owned by a family that had a bunch of property seized and they, when they seized it, they seized all, but like this one little square and they refused to do it's there. It actually is like a marker on the ground. that says it's private property. You can't stand on it. That's what I would do. I think it's oh, hilarious. Man. We need to build a highway through here. You're going to have to eminent domain mine because I am not giving you this land. You, <laughs> um, you don't want to do that. Because uh, what ends up happening is like, you can negotiate a, a, a value to the property, but if you flat out refuse and they go with eminent domain, it's whatever the, the government decides it's worth. So you might get well, substantially less. Fuck that noise, man. I don't even give a shit. We're talking about one foot of fucking land. Take it. Take it. But I'm going to make you're You're not going to get it for free. You're going to earn it. I would do everything I could to stymie that freaking process. Appeals, paperwork out the ass. Like, you know what? One of the worst things about our legal system is the bureaucracy. And if it came right down to push to shove, I would take advantage of that shit to the end of the fucking map. Here, here it is. You can look this up if you're at all interested. It's called the Hess Triangle. The Hess Triangle was a triangular tile mosaic. Mosaic. Set in the sidewalk in New York City's West Village neighborhood at the corner of 17th Avenue and Christopher Street. The plaque reads, Property of the Hess Estate, which has never been dedicated for public purposes. 
This plaque is an isosceles triangle with a 25 and one half inch base and a 27 and one half uh, inch legs. The plaque is the result of a dispute between the city government and the estate of David Hess, a landlord from Philadelphia who owns the Voorhees, a five-story apartment building in the early 1910s. The city claimed eminent domain uh, in uh, to ex- uh, yeah to ex- to demolish uh, 253 buildings in the area in order to widen 17th Street and expand the IRT subway. But in 1913, the Hess family had exhausted all legal options. However, according to Ross Duff, uh, writing in the Herald in 1928, the Hess heirs discovered the city seized the Voorhees and the survey had missed a small corner of the plot uh, and (laughs) and they set up a notice of possession. The city asked the family to donate the uh, the property to the public, but they choose to hold on to it and install the present defiant mosaic on July 27th of 1922. <laughs> Man, I'd put a fucking flag up on it. Right? I, I really I really would. I'd put a I'd be like, "You know what? 25 by 27. That's well, we might not be able to do much with it, but we can put a fucking flag up there and I dare you to take it down." Exactly. I'd cement that. You know. Now, let me ask you a question. This is this might be stupid, but I really don't know. If you own land, do you own the land underneath it too? Not necessarily. Um, you have to own the mineral rights, uh, and most places, uh, you, uh, especially city properties, you'll never get the mineral rights on there because the city has too much going on underneath. Well, what I mean is, is like you think that you know this dude could put like a ten foot pole down on the ground, you know, make it real fucking tricky to get out whatever he puts in there. You know what I mean? Like ten feet in a hole, bunch of cement, flag right in there. You're never getting that out. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, Especially the subway being underneath there. (laughs) Um, You mess with a public utility, you got problems. All right, Buck, that's going to bring us to an end for this week. Um, folks, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 this medication is kicking in hard. I'm losing it here. Um, if you uh, know of our second podcast, The Subcockles or Reddit, you'll know that this past Wednesday that an episode did not come out. Uh, that was a error on my part uh, with some... And mine. Well, it, it had to do with some... Uh, description related stuff well uh, and limitations doing with our hardware and stuff like that uh there will be an episode this wednesday um please take a listen to that social liability podcast we're still going strong even if we're doing it with a with buck's little headset in a hotel but hey we're here uh just remember it doesn't cost you a thing the only thing we ever ask is you pay is attention and maybe tell a friend or two that'd be nice that all being said, folks, I am the Raz. He is the Buck. Wishing you all a happy and safe week, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Social Liability Podcast. <laughs>